أهلا حلقة كرتون كرتون اليوم مختلفة لأنه والأول مرة حلقتنا باللغة الإنجليزية وحابين نقول لكل المستمعين الجدد أنه كرتون كرتون برنامج بودكاست عربي نتكلم فيه عن مواضيع تخص الأنيميشن وبنكمل مستقبلا باللغة العربية أكيد لكن هذه الحلقة غير مع منتج ومخرج أمريكي له خبرة طويلة في مجال الأنيميشن مع شركات زي ديزني ودريم ووركس ولنا الشرف في كرتون كرتون أنه نكون أول برنامج عربي يسجل معه وما تتخيلوا قد ايش اخذ مننا وقت موضوع ترتيب الحلقه هذه، واخذ الموضوع مننا شهور لكن الحمد لله هو جاء وقدرنا نتقابل معاه، ان شاء الله الحلقه تعجبكم وحابين كمان بس نديكم طلب سريع قبل ما نبدا الحلقه انه اللي منكم شايف انه عنده او عندها المقدره انكم انتم تسمعوا الحلقه هذه وتلخصوا كل الاشياء المهمه اللي انقالت في الحلقه دي باللغه العربيه احنا مستعدين ان شاء الله نحطها في الشو نوتس عندنا اللي تحت الحلقه على طول فيصير الناس اللي هم يعني لغتهم ما هي مره قويه يقدروا يستفيدوا من الحلقه هذه كمان في نفس الوقت اذا احد من كراتيننا الاحباء حابب يساعدنا احنا نكون لكم من الشاكرين ضيفنا هو سول بلينكوف I've noticed that like from your podcast you're a very optimistic and happy person does animation has anything to do with this You're saying does animation help me remain positive, optimistic, happy, right? Yeah. Uh, wow, that's a good question. I've asked, I've been asked a lot, but never that. That's a good one. I'm liking that. Um, I think it's the other way around. I think it's because I'm happy, optimistic, uh, passionate. I think that's what makes animation appeal to me. Um, you know, one of the things one of my art teachers told me early on in my career uh, was that. Drawing is about seeing. Art is about seeing. It's not about how well you can draw or paint. It's about the lens you use to look at the world. How do you see lighting? How do you see people? How do you, you know, what what lens do each of us look at the world through? Um, an artistic person or a creative person, which all of us, by the way, whether we are technically an artist or not, have the potential to be creative, you know, not to get too religious, but like they say, God is the creator. We are like the creator. Uh, when we create, there's a great pleasure in creating, whether it's creating art or creating a relationship, a marriage. Anytime we tap into creativity, we are f- experiencing that pleasure of creation. And it's really a lens. And so that's the lens I look at the world through. And animation, since I was a very young uh, kid, just always appealed to me. You know, I remember I was working on Mulan in the 90s, and I was so inspired to work on that film. And I used to call it a moving painting. It was just every frame of it was so beautiful. And being at the Disney Studios then and seeing the painters creating the backgrounds, I was working in character animation. I worked on the character Shang in Mulan, but seeing the paintings, every frame, the design was just so amazing to me. And that's always just had a great, a great appeal to me. Well, we couldn't well, we ask actually, for a better start for the episode than this. <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is Ammar from Cartoon Cartoon and Mustadfir. And this is Abdullah from Darat Animation and Cartoon Cartoon. And we have a very special guest, Mr. Saul Blinkoff. Did I say it correctly? 
Perfect. Yes. Thank okay. you so much. So good to be here with you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for giving us the opportunity. If you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, it's better than what it, we were going to butcher it. So it's better that you say. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just say how appreciative I am to your listeners for tuning in. And then I really, uh, I don't take for granted the, the opportunity that you've given me to be able to share some ideas with each of your listeners. So wherever you are listening, I appreciate you being here, tuning in. And I hope that you get a lot out of this episode. I hope I'm able to, able to share some uh, ideas because if it's just about coming to a podcast and learning something, that's just interesting. That's not my goal. My goal is to hopefully share ideas with you uh, and with these two incredible guys and the three of us share ideas that you can walk away with and apply to your quote unquote animated life. Um so just a quick version of, about me, my bio, is that what you said? Let me tell about my history quickly. Um, well, uh, I started uh, at the Walt Disney Studios as an animator on the film Pocahontas, which many kids today have never heard of. You know, we always say in the business, that's BF, before Frozen, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how it is. So Pocahontas and, and the Hunchback of Notre Dame and Mulan, Tarzan, lots of those older Disney movies or classic golden age Disney movies, um, was a director at Disney on a bunch of Disney movies, Winnie the Pooh movie, Kronk's New Groove, the sequel to Emperor's New Groove, a couple of more Winnie the Pooh movies, uh, directed a TV show called Doc McStuffins, which was a big animated show, uh, and have worked a lot in television over the past years at Netflix. Today, I'm a producer uh, at DreamWorks Animation, uh, worked on lots of great TV shows with great people. And uh, I'm also the host of a podcast about life called Life of Awesome, where I share each week uh, interviews with people in Hollywood and, and not in Hollywood all around the world and share ideas that people can apply to their lives on how to grow and how to live a more meaningful life, uh, to be more successful, to be more happy, to be better parents, uh, better spouses, better communicators, just to have an overall uh, life of awesome. So check out that podcast. So that's that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> oh, yeah. And sorry, I'm also a father and husband, father of four, a, a puppy and a husband. Boom. <laughs> And that's the most important, I think, job. Abdullah, you wanted to ask something, and I cut you off. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I, I actually, like, speaking of the 90s and you starting in Pocahontas, you actually started pretty young. Like, you, you were super young when you started. My you life. probably weren't even born when I was animating on Pocahontas. I was born in 1994. There so you go. <laughs> probably I wasn't. <laughs> you, right. you were in I, a I diaper. Well, I was, I was drawing. Here. You were here. You were here. <laughs> Abdullah, you were you were in a diaper when I was drawing Pocahontas. Now I feel old. This interview is over. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. You're not. Listen, you're not that. You're not. You're not much older than me. I, I was born seventy nine, I think. So you're like okay, seven years maybe. older than me. So we're yeah, that's right. We're, from we're the right same there. generation. Yeah. What's up, brother? How you doing? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for being born in the nineties, guys. That's right. But uh, can you tell us more about how did you start in the field? Like, I, I know you yeah. started because you loved drawing as a kid. But what, what, what gave you the, the, actually the, the will to actually be like, you know what? I want to work in this industry. <laughs> it's, not an, it's not an easy industry to go into. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, uh, Abdullah. I grew up in New York. 
So first of all, I grew up in, in uh, you know, I grew up in a place that I didn't know any people that worked in animation. I didn't know any people that worked in filmmaking. I didn't know any people that worked uh, in really any creative field at all. My father was a doctor. My people in my neighborhood were in business and lawyers. I didn't know creativity was even a job. I just thought it was what I did for fun when I was a kid. Like you said, I used to draw a lot as a kid. Uh, I was 11 years old. I went to the movies and I watched the movie E.T. And when I saw the movie E.T., Steven Spielberg's classic, I remember the credits were rolling. At the end, I tapped my mom and I'm like, mom, that's what I want to do someday. And she looks down at me and says, what, you want to leave planet Earth in a spaceship? I'm like, no, no, no. I want to work in movies. I want to work in film. And I left the theater and went to the library the next day and got books on uh, cameras, lenses, storyboarding. I found out everything I could about Steven Spielberg. And I just wanted to make movies. And I started making movies with my sister. I have a twin sister, a brother, a year older, kids in the neighborhood. And I'm just making movies constantly. Murder movies, monster movies. I loved it. I finally find an outlet for my creativity and for uh, the way that I looked at the world. And then I get to high school, and uh, I was, uh, I think, a sophomore in high school, junior in high school. And somebody comes up to me. It's a true story. And they said, "Well, what are you going to do when you get out of high school?" And I said, "Well, I want to, I want to be a filmmaker." They're like, "No, no you don't want to do that." I'm like, "Yeah, I really do." Like, "No, you don't," because if you want to do that, you're going to have to move out to Hollywood, and Hollywood is filled with weirdos. <laughs> they looked at me and said, you don't want to end up a weirdo, do you? <laughs> and I, I, I looked at them and I said, no, I don't want to end up a weirdo. And I'm telling you guys right then and there, I gave up on my dream of wanting to be a filmmaker because one person told me I would end up a weirdo. And I tell you that story and you hear it and, and you must be thinking, as I'm thinking, why would you change the trajectory of your goal and your dream because of one person? And it's because so often in life, we do allow our environment to dictate how we feel about ourselves and tell us who we can be, who we can't be. And at that point in my life, uh, I was impressionable and I gave up on my dream. That was it. I wasn't going to go into film. I really gave up on the whole thing. It's crazy. My parents said, so what are you going to do? I go, I'll go back to drawing. And I have unbelievably supportive parents. They got an art teacher to come to my home. And every week she would teach me to draw from life. She'd set up a bowl of fruit and she'd teach me painting and pencil and charcoal. I was terrible, by the way, at drawing hands. Hands, if any artists are listening, hands are very difficult to draw. And I was terrible at it. And I never drew hands. And my art teacher looks at me and she goes, oh, you're not drawing hands? Why not? I go, well, because that's not, that's, I'm not so good at that. She goes, ah, great. You're going to draw a hand before you go to bed every single night before bed. You're going to draw different hands from different positions. And I, get, I said, but, but I'm not good at that. She goes, exactly. And in six months, I got good at drawing hands. And she taught me a great lesson. And I hope all you listeners are, are listening very carefully that whenever we have something that makes us uncomfortable, don't be scared to direct and focus all of your energy into it to be able to turn your weakness into your strength. Such an important remembering uh, that tool to be able to accomplish something, to be able to get to a high level of something. There will be things along the way that will make us uncomfortable, but we have to turn those flaws into strengths. That could mean anything, not just how well you play basketball, or it could mean in a relationship. You know, I'm married 20 years. Our marriage isn't perfect. It's awesome, but it's not perfect. You know what it means? It means it takes work. And wherever those cracks are in the vessel, 
that's the place to find out the answer key to growing. So what a great art teacher I had. And then it was the end of junior year. I go to the movies, guys, and I see another movie that changes my life. I saw the movie, The Little Mermaid. And I'm watching that movie in the theater. I tap my mom and I'm like, mom, that's what I want to do someday. And she's like, what, you, you want to fall in love with a fish? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, mom, I want to work in animation. And I knew right then and there, I wanted to be a Disney animator because animation, guys, was perfect for me. It combined my two passions, my love of drawing, my love of filmmaking, put it together, animation. And plus, I found out that there was a Walt Disney studio in Orlando, Florida. So there I am, junior in high school. And Saul knows exactly what he wants to do. I want to be a Disney animator. The only problem is I had no idea how to do it. You know, so often I meet people and I ask them, what's your goal? You know, what's your goal? What do you want to accomplish? And some people are lucky enough to know what their goal is in life. But if you don't know how to accomplish it, if you go to a great restaurant and you taste an unbelievable dessert and you want to make that dessert at home, you can do it if you have recipe. You know, going back to relationships, for example, I want to be a better father. I want to be a better husband. I want to work on controlling my anger more. That's a goal. How do you do that? What are the tools to do that? What are the steps to do that? Well, I didn't know how to become a Disney animator, but what I did have is the most supportive parents in history. My mom took me, not my older brother, not my sister, took me on a plane from New York to Florida to Disney World. And we're walking around Disney World. And my mom has gone up to all the Disney cast members. And she's like, my son wants to be a Disney. I remember getting on the, uh, the It's a Small World boat ride. <laughs> <laughs> we're stepping on the boat. And the lady at Disney's like, how many in your party? We're like two. We're stepping on the boat. My mom's like, by the way, my son wants to be a Disney animator. Can you help him? It was actually very embarrassing. Um, and, and, oh, sweet. And I, sweet, right? And I remember my mom saying, uh, I remember the woman going, uh, ma'am, this is a boat ride. You know, we don't hire animation people here. That's a boat. <laughs> so we go on the boat ride. And after the boat comes back around, it's a small world, right? Uh, the woman says, look, if you want your son to work at Disney, he's got to go to the Disney casting building. It's four minutes away from where we were at Disney World. That's where Disney hires all their employees. So my mom and I go four minutes away. We get to a Disney office building. By the way, can you imagine how beautiful? A Disney office building would look like. Oh, yeah. What would it be? Guys, the front of it, the front of it looked like um, from Alice in Wonderland. It had the doorknobs made out of brass. Remember the doorknobs that speak in Alice in Wonderland? So these didn't speak, of course, but they had, they were molded to look like this. I open up the doors, I step into this atrium, and I look up, and there are gold statuettes of Mickey, Roger Rabbit, Dumbo, Pluto, even the air. In this atrium, I will never forget, guys. It had like this, this smell, this Disney smell, like this pixie dust in the air, you know? And then there's this huge ramp that goes up. Painted on the ceiling is Peter Pan and Wendy. And I walk up this ramp, and all I'm thinking is, how would I ever work in a place like this? Like, wow. There was a painting of Walt Disney with a sketchbook to the left on the wall. I'm like, it, it, amazing. So I get there for the interview. And the woman at Disney finally calls me in. I sit there and she goes, what are you doing? I'm like, well, my dream is to be a Disney animator. She goes, well, we don't hire those here. I'm like, well, who do you hire? She says, well, we hire people that work in the parks, in Disney World, in Epcot, in MGM. It used to be called MGM. Now it's called Disney Hollywood Studios in the Magic Kingdom. We hire people that work the rides. We don't hire the animators. I said, oh, 
I, I was a little let down. She goes, well, hold on a sec. She walks out of the room, comes back in a minute later and hands me a piece of paper. That piece of paper was the most valuable piece of paper I ever held in my hands other than my wedding contract, in case my wife is listening. That piece of paper was a list of eight schools, eight art schools that Disney recruits their artists from. And she said, if you want to be a Disney animator, you need to go to one of these art universities. Boom. That was it. That was the recipe. That was the how. And in my head, I now had an equation to achieve my dream. Saul plus go to one of these schools will equal dream of becoming a Disney animator. And if any of you are listening right now and you have a goal and you have a dream and you should, by the way, because that's what it means to be human, to dream big, to come up with a big goal, to come up with a vision of not who we are, but who we're trying to become. If you have that goal in your life, and like I said, we all should, now the trick is to figure out the recipe of how to become that person, how to achieve that goal. Because once you have that recipe, that's it. So my mom took me on a list to the list of those eight art schools. She took me around the United States to each of those schools to see which would be a good fit. And I remember getting to one school in Columbus, Ohio. It was the Columbus College of Art and Design. And I remember touring this art school. And I'm telling you guys, all the artwork on the walls was a hundred times better than anything that I could ever do. This, this, these artists were incredible. And I said to the guy touring us around the school, I said, you know, your seniors are so talented. He looks at me and says, Saul, every piece of artwork that you see on the walls here has been created by our freshman class. They're only a year older than me, and they were a hundred times better than me. And I felt intimidated. I felt intimidated. Why would I want to go to a school where I would be the worst one at the school? I'm telling you, if I chose that school, I'm telling you, this is a fact. If I chose that school, I would have been the worst artist at that school. But let me tell you why I chose that school. Because you see, I have a theory. I don't care if you're two years old. I don't care if you're 120. I don't care where in the world you live. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, whoever you are, there is one thing that unites all of us that we all have in common, whether you're five years old or 80. Every single person on planet Earth wants the exact same thing. We all want to be great. We all want to live a life of greatness. Nobody wakes up and wants to be average. Nobody wakes up and wants to be mediocre. If you want to be married someday, you want great marriages. If you want to have kids, you want to have great kids. If you want to create a cake, you want it to taste awesome. We all want a life of awesome. We all want a life of greatness. But how do we get it? How do we get it? If you watch a documentary about these incredible people, Michael Jordan, or people that do great things, you know what they all have in common? They all realize that they have to surround themselves by people that are going to uplift them and help them grow. And I thought to myself, you know what? If I go to a school like this, then I'll become a better artist. And I chose the school and uh, thank God they chose me. That was the beginning. <laughs> wow, you actually just reminded me of, of a great quote that says, uh, 
tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are. That's it. It's, it's about it's about the surroundings. It really is about the surroundings. Yeah, you know, on, on my podcast, I interviewed uh, a guy named Tim Story. He is the coach to the stars. He's Oprah Winfrey's guru, Robert Downey Jr., all these people. And I asked him this question, Abdul. I said to him, what is the one thing that you find defines the success or failure of all these celebrities? And he says, it's whoever they have in their green room. Like before stars go out, there's something called a green room for those of you listening who don't know. And he goes, whoever's in their entourage, that's what defines them, who their parents, who their friends are, who they surround themselves with. As a matter of fact, you know, when I got to school the first day in that art school, I remember walking uh, into my uh, dorm rooms and there was a guy there who was one of the best artists in the school as a freshman. I met him at a party. He was drawing at a party. His name was Andy. And I asked him, why are you drawing at this party? Was this, is this part of a class? And he says, no, because I'm drawing because I want to get better as an artist. He never stopped drawing, brought a sketchbook everywhere. And he became my best friend. And I can tell you, just being friends with someone like that made me a better artist. Because really, it's like you were saying, you know, who we choose to be friends with actually affects who we become. That's it. And I can tell you, just being around that environment with a friend like Andy elevated me and made me a better artist. It was all about my mindset. You know, I remember kids that were lazy. I didn't hang out with them. Andy and I used to draw all the time together. You know, we went to the zoo. We would draw in the freezing cold. I remember one time there were 15 students. We had to go to the zoo one day to go draw animals you know, one of the things that Disney wants in their portfolio to get into Disney is figure drawing and anatomy. Disney wants no drawing of cartoon characters, believe it or not. I never did any animation until I got to the Walt Disney Studios, by the way. They just want you to be able to draw. That's how it was, to be able to draw from life, people and animals. And when you guys watch a movie like The Lion King, how do you think animators know how to draw elephants walking? There's only one way. We had to go to the zoo for hundreds of hours, right? And look at anatomy books of animals to learn those. Walt Disney used to bring deer into the studio when they were oh, making Bambi. Bambi. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It's true, right? And Lion King, they brought lions into the studio. You can see video of it. So Andy and I go to the zoo with like 15 other students one day. And I remember vividly, we're at the zoo. And it was a freezing cold day in Columbus, Ohio. The second we pull up into the zoo, everybody goes to this little cafe that was in the zoo. And we get hot chocolate and coffee and tea because it's freezing out there. And after about two minutes, okay, Andy and I are like, all right, let's go. Let's get out there. We go out there. And sure enough, we find an elephant who's just walking back and forth. And it was the best thing. And as someone who's studying movement and animation, when you could find an animal that is repeating a movement back and forth, like... You've struck gold, okay? So this elephant is walking back and forth, and, it's, and Andy and I are freezing, and we're doing all these drawings. After about an hour, we look at the clock, we're like, oh my gosh, you got to get back to the bus. We get back on the bus, and now we're finally sharing our artwork with each other, because that's what's so great about art school. You get to share with your peers. So I'm showing Andy what I drew, and he's showing me what he drew, and then there's the other students there. So we're like, hey, we never saw you guys at the elephants. You never made it there. What happened? One of the guys looks up at me, and he goes, we never left the cafe. He's like, none of us did. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, we couldn't. I said, why not? He says, 
because it was too cold. Oh, it was too cold. You mean too painful. But, you know, a minute earlier, an hour earlier, you're on the bus. and You're wearing your Disney sweatshirt. You're listening to your Disney music, talking about your big dreams of wanting to be a Disney animator. But now, now that it gets cold, you're out. You see, so often in life, we do have those goals. We do know how to accomplish something. But when the struggle comes in, when the pain comes in, we're out. We have to, in our minds, have not only expectations that there will be struggle. We have to have a mindset in life that the only way to grow is to go through the discipline of persevering through struggle. You think relationships are going to be easy? Any great marriage that you will ever see, you can rest assured that that marriage takes work. That's it. If you have a teenage daughter, you know raising teenagers takes work. That's the secret sauce. That's the secret to success. Steve Jobs was in that garage with Wozniak creating that Apple II computer. I guess the Apple I first. Believe me, it took work. And I knew right when I left the zoo that day, I will never forget, guys. I knew that Andy and I someday would get into Disney because we had that mindset of nothing was going to get in our way. And I remember, you know, the first week in art school before the zoo, a Disney representative came from the Walt Disney Studios to our school, stands on the stage in the auditorium filled with every freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. And the guy from Disney looks out to us. There's 750 students in that auditorium. And he says, how many of you want to be Disney animators? And every hand went up. And he said, just so you know, out of the 750 of you, maybe, just maybe four of you will ever work there. That's how competitive it is. And I remember when he said that, I thought one thing. I wonder who the other three are going to be. <laughs> because in life, you either believe in yourself that you can accomplish something or you don't. I mean, deep down, and I'll tell you guys, this is before Pixar existed. This is before DreamWorks existed. If you wanted a job in animation, it was Disney. They were doing the best stuff. And at that point in my life, I really believed in myself. So yeah, you know, who we surround ourselves, what environment we put ourselves in really will affect who we become. You know, you know what I love mm -hmm. uh, is that you're telling the story. And you're saying that like you were and you were, but what I see with all honesty is that I, I feel like you still have that spirit within you. You, you still yeah. have that, you know what, like who, who, who the other three are out of the four, you know, that, that, that kind of, of, of yeah. knowing your worth is amazing. Like I can exactly. still see it. Exactly. And, you know, and, the, and, and the thing is, yeah. it's like everybody, as you said, everybody, who accomplished something, who became what they always aspired to be. All of us, we had to struggle. Abdullah had to struggle. I had to struggle. I mean, for me to just, it, it, it wasn't even a dream to, to work in Sesame Street or to be a puppeteer or to bring these characters to life because it's like, it's all the way in New York. It's like, I'm, I'm never going to be able to go there. It's like, and and it, it, you, can't, you can't imagine it, but then you just work at it. And it's like, and I had people around me and I had a, a safe job. I was an architect. I made good money. And then it's like, you know what? I don't want to spend the next 30 years. I was 34. It's like, I don't want to spend, you know, retire and then think, 
okay, so now what I, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I wanted to do. It's like, no, you know what? I need to do it now. So it's like, Beautiful. I had an opportunity. My wife Beautiful. like had, had some good income and she, ha- she, she, she needed more time to work. Somebody had to stay with the kids. It's like, I'm going to stay home with the kids and I'm going to try to do this, you know, puppetry thing on the side and, 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 and try to make it happen. And it ended up, you know, where I never dreamed I would get to. Wow. And, and, wow. and it, it took sacrifice because the job is like, my kids are studying in one place. My wife is working at the same place. And the job, the opportunity I got to work at Sesame Street was I had to leave the country and go to another country. But it's like, I had a mission. It's like, is, I'm, I'm going to do this for a few years, learn, right. and then come back and do my own thing here. But I need to, you know, bite that bullet first. And each right. one now- of us... And what you're saying, though, is is so important because what makes you unique, Amar, is that you not only did have that goal, but you actually went and did something about it. Yeah. How many people listening right now are listening to your story and going, wow, I also have a goal, but I never left. I never made the effort. But you had that courage to go do it. That's amazing. Exactly. And here's the thing. It's like they had, they had open auditions for puppeteers. For the first reboot of this, like as they used to do the show in the 70s, and then they did it back in 2014. And I auditioned, and it didn't get the job. So my idea was like, well, I can just go back to architecture, or you know what, I'll just build my own puppets, I'll make my own show, and show them that they made a mistake. And wow. sure enough, that happened two and a half years <laughs> later. <laughs> and I got the job, and, and not just be an assistant or something like working a legacy character and a funny story is i've always admired jim henson i admired people like um uh, mel blank it's like i i wanted to be a voice actor when i knew that all those characters were done by one person and and then you see videos about the you know the the jim henson company and the creature shop and whatnot and you dream of like what it would be like if you can go there one day you know and experience it and then I, I get to, you know, Sesame Street, and then I'm, I, I audition for Cookie Monster. I get Cookie Monster, which is called Kaki in, in, in Arabic. And then from all the puppets, this is the only puppet that you can, you, when you put your hands in him, he has a glove inside of him. So it's a right-handed glove because most of people are right-handed. I'm left-handed. So it was odd. And it's like, I'm telling them, it's like, you know, I can't, why this feels weird? And they explain it, and it's like, well, can we flip the glove inside or something? And then they say, you know what, we can't do that. So Sesame Workshop calls like the Jim Henson Company. It's like, you know what, we have a left-handed Cookie Monster operator, so we need a left-handed Cookie Monster. So now the Jim Henson Company are building the uh, first uh, ever left-handed Cookie Monster. <laughs> and then I go there, like one, one of our, the trainings that uh, um, we had, and we visit the workshop. And it's like, hey, guys, by the way, this is Lefty. It's like, oh, this is Lefty? And it's like I had a nickname at the Jim Henson Workshop. It's like, that's Man, oh, awesome. it's, we never did a left-handed Cookie Monster, and wow. that was the first one. So, I mean, you... We can't imagine, just just like you said, we can't imagine what we can accomplish in life. But if you just do the work, regardless of, don't worry about how you get there. Just learn the recipe, apply it, and then someday you'll get there. And, and also, I love that, Amar. I can't wait to tell my kids that story about you (laughs) with the left-handed cooking. My son's lefty. He's going to love that story. That's going to be a great bedtime story tonight. I love it. Um, yeah, you know, there's a quote from uh, Simon Sinek. Uh, he's a... He, yeah, we know Simon. Uh, you know, and he has this great quote. He says, how you do anything is how you do everything. 
listen again, how you do anything is how you do everything. Meaning, you know, the mindset that we apply to anything that we are trying to do in life, that will tell you how everything will come out in life. You know, if you're disciplined with your career, but with your kids, not disciplined, it's not the same. You're either a disciplined person or you're not. You're either a giving person or you're not. You're either a person that wants to grow or you're not. You know, I want to be, I want to make great movies. Also, when I make Italian food for my kids, I want to make great spaghetti. (laughs) You know, when I make my bed, I want it to be great. Last night I was in the kitchen. If my wife's listening, she's going to roll her eyes. But last night I was in the kitchen (laughs) and we have this, this one like cabinet that no matter what, just always gets unorganized. All the vinegars and the oils and the baking soda. I'm like, honey, I can't find. So what happens is, oh, she's not going to listen to this. I'm going to tell you this. What happens is like stuff gets in the back, like the toasted sesame oil is so far in the back. She doesn't know it's there. She goes to the store because she makes it. She just buys another one because she's never going to go to the back of that cabinet and realize there's already one there because it's in the back of the cabinet might as well be gone. So last night I got this label maker. Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> and I made labels for that whole cabinet where everything goes. And she opened the cabinet and she's like, we have three toasted sesame oils. <laughs> I'm like, honey. So now it's all labeled and organized and she rolled her eyes, but you know what? She knows her husband. Like I put that attention to detail, not just into the movies I make to how I use the camera, the animation, the voiceover, all of it. I put it into spaghetti sauce. I put it into organizing a cabinet. I put it into being a father. Mm-hmm. How we do anything is how we do everything. That's so true because like you hear these stories like like over here like over religious stories where this this person did just one good deed and God put him in in heaven. And I tell Beautiful. people, well that's that's not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is that person did that good deed. That means he's been doing all these good deeds all his life because you play as you practice. So as it, it goes back to the quote you said. It's like he didn't go to heaven because of that one good deed or one person went to hell because of one bad deed. No, no. It's because they, that's how they behave. That's how they think. That's how they, they are as people. And then that's how you're going to get either rewarded or punished for it. So in life, it's the same Beautiful. thing. If, if, if you're going to, if, if you put that much attention to just, you know, organizing a cabinet, a kitchen cabinet, you're going to put all the attention in the world and everything you do. And that's just behavior. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny. And if you look in the Bible for a moment, uh, you know, you look at a lot of great uh, people who became great in the Bible started out as shepherds. And I heard a beautiful idea once that, you know, if you could be sensitive to animals, then you could be sensitive to human beings, you know, starters, right? There's so many examples of that in the Bible, but yeah, I I have found that definitely for myself. And, um, you know, I, I try and, and, and work on that, uh, every day, you know, growing. Uh, so (laughs) actually speaking of, of attention to details, uh, amazing you, Mr. Saul, can we speak about Winnie the Pooh? Because I'm a huge fan of Winnie the Pooh. Like, Ammar knows how much I love oh, Winnie yes. the Pooh. We were just talking about the public domain news. I don't know if you heard about it. Oh, yeah. The Pooh is yeah, my father movie. just texted me that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I, first of all, thank you so much for springtime with <laughs> that movie. No, honestly, because we've all seen the Winnie the Pooh movies. Like, there's a lot of, of Winnie the Pooh movies. Right. But uh, I think only few 
of those movies, the the uh, Disney Toon, I think it was a Disney Toon movie, wasn't it? It sure was. Yeah. Yeah. It sure was. Uh, only a few of these uh, Winnie the Pooh Disney Toon movies were actually. Oh, uh, you're, you're talking my language, man. I love that you're saying this. Like, this is great. <laughs> Springtime with Rue, uh, the Tigger movie, and a few others. Those are the only ones who ha- that had actually good animation and a good story that we can watch over and over and over again, you know? Yeah. Um, so can you tell us some stories? Some, some sure. Uh, oh, I'd love stuff? to. So, yeah, let me tell you. By the way, before I jump into Winnie the Pooh, I want to tell everybody just one other quick thing. Um, I, I know I, I may, uh, I told you that I, I, when I went to this art school and I had this dream and, and who the other three are going to be, but I want you all to know that uh, my sophomore year, I sent my portfolio into Disney and I got rejected. Um, I didn't really expect to get in as a sophomore. It was only my second year, but uh, you know, I wanted to go through the process. I, I remember actually getting an envelope from the Disney studios that had my name on it. It was the rejection letter, but I was just happy that the Disney company knew I was alive. You know, <laughs> So I took that letter, I put it up over my desk. You know, And the next year, uh, my junior year in college, uh, me and Andy both sent our portfolios in and uh, Andy got in to Disney on the internship and I got rejected. Yeah. And that was a very bittersweet day for me. It was sweet because I was happy that my best friend was getting his dream, but bitter because I wasn't. And this is what I want to tell everybody is, you know, I got rejected the second time I tried and I, I, really, I really gave up. I gave up on the entire dream. Because I had another voice in my head that was telling me, you can't get into Disney. Disney's for people like Andy. He was an awesome artist. He was talented. He was a natural. Who are you to think that you could have a dream like that? Who are you to think you could have a goal like that? Reality set in. You know, there's that thing in the animated films uh, in Emperor's New Groove. We did it. Where there's a shoulder angel and a shoulder devil, right? I love them. Crunk. Right? It's that it's that good inclination and that and that evil inclination that each of us has. And there are those moments in our lives where we have that angel telling us that we can aspire to be great and to connect with the infinite and do great things and change the world. And then there's that shoulder devil that tells us, "No, no, that's not for you. That's for other people. You can't do anything. Hit the snooze button, go back to sleep. Go eat more food, go back to bed." You know, it's like the body and the soul always have this battle going on. The soul wants to change the world. The body wants to sleep. And I, I gave up on my dream because reality set in that I was never going to do it. And then it's incredible how God runs the world. A week later, I see a movie that changes my life. First, it was E.T. Then it was The Little Mermaid. And now I go to the movies. This movie came out and it was a movie, a true story not animated, live action movie about a guy who wanted to play football at Notre Dame, a dreamer story about a guy who was short, not even athletic, and had a dream to play football at the best university at the time, Notre Dame. Uh, And he gets rejected and gets rejected. The movie's called, anyone know? Anyone know? The movie's called Rudy. It's called Rudy, one of the most inspiring dreamers And I'm watching this movie. And, you know, if you look at the movie poster for the movie, Rudy, it says, when people tell you dreams don't come true, tell them about Rudy. And he gets in after three or four times. And at the end of the movie, tears are streaming down my face 
because I was thinking in that moment, I will never forget if an unathletic kid could get into Notre Dame by working hard, then an untalented artist like me could get into Disney with an insane amount of hard work. And I decided to never give up again. And then I got my drawings together. And uh, I'm actually, as a matter of fact, you know what I did before? The next day, I called up the head of Disney. I got the guy on the phone and I said, I said to him, you know, who by the way, I always say to my kids, like, how crazy was I to just call? And, you know, when I was 11 years old, I grew up in New York and my hero growing up was Michael Jordan. Okay. Greatest basketball player of all time. Don't, don't tell me it's. Uh, Amen. No, 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 no. MJ all the way. It's MJ, right? So I'm 11 years old. MJ all the way, baby. I'm standing next to the court. I'm 11 years old. Michael Jordan is in the, in the middle of the court. This is before the game and the Bulls are warming up against the Knicks. And I said to my older brother standing next to him, like, Jay, I'm going to go walk out there and meet Michael Jordan right now. My brother's like, you're not going anywhere. I was standing, true story, on the middle of the court, looking up to Michael Jordan. And I said to him, hi, Mr. Jordan. And he looks down at me and says, quote, yo, how you doing? End quote. Amazing. (laughs) And he shook my hand. He shook my hand. This one right here, still never, never washed, never washed, still has that number 23 sweat. And I got to meet him. And the reason I went out there and I tell this to my kids all the time, and I remind myself this all the time, when there is something you want in your life, you will do anything to get it. When there is something you want in your life, you will do what? Anything to get it. There is no can't. You have that mindset that there's something you want. You will do anything to accomplish it. That's why I got on the phone and called up the head of Disney because I wanted to find out how close was I to getting in. So I get the guy on the phone. He says, Saul, because this is, remember, I tried twice to get in, didn't get in. The second time I called him, I said, how close was I? He goes, Saul, we picked 17 from over 3,800 portfolios around the world, and you made it to number 20. Wow. I had missed it by three. Do you know how many times in life we could be so close to achieving our goal and we feel like we're miles, sorry, kilometers away, and all we have to do is just push a little bit more? Then I asked him the magic question. Why didn't I get in? What was missing in my portfolio? Because in life, we're going to get rejected. That's what it means to be human. We're going to fail. But in those moments, if we find out the answer key to why we failed, turn it into our strength. Mm-hmm. And the guy said to me, he goes, you need more perspective in your drawing. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, don't just draw the model and figure drawing class from wherever you're sitting. Get up, move around, stand on a ladder, look down at the model. Give me, give me a dynamic perspective. I'm like, thank you. Answer key. So I went to figure drawing class the next day. And while we were drawing, I stood up on this ladder thing, this scaffolding, whatever thing in the class. And I did drawings looking down when I would go to the zoo I remember asking the zoo, can you give me like special permission to go where you feed the giraffes? Because they were feeding the giraffes in this thing. And I wanted to look down at a giraffe. How often do we get to do that in life? Look down at a giraffe. So they let me go in there. Because just when I was 11 years old and I wanted to walk out on that court, when I went to the zoo, I wanted to walk out to see those giraffes. And some people would be like, yeah, but you can't do that. That's breaking up. No, you just ask. You get out of your comfort zone. You ask. Because when there's something you want in your life, you will do anything to get it. And I sent those drawings into Disney and boom, 
I got in. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got in. My dreams came true. And uh, thank God I, I, I went back to believing in myself and back to figuring out what I can do to succeed. So now let's get to Winnie the Pooh because that's a really special topic for me. So yeah. you know, I started working on Pocahontas and all these Disney movies, but the springtime with Brew. And uh, I went and watched the old Winnie the Pooh featurettes from the 60s. Some of the best animated anything ever made. And anybody listening, it's one of the best things you can show your kids. You know, parents ask me all the time, like, how do I start my kids with Disney stuff? What should I show them? I'm like, well, do not show them Lion King when they're four years old because it's a little scary. And then my parents are like, yeah, but I just fast forward through the scary parts. I'm like, then you're robbing your kid of a great movie experience. <laughs> True. Like, why would you? Why, why would Disney spend a hundred million dollars making a movie in four years just for you to? To stop the part where Mufasa dies. (laughs) (laughs) Like you just killed the whole movie. Why don't you just wait to end the show them lying? You know what I mean? So Winnie the Pooh is just a great entree into animation and storytelling for that matter. And those old featurettes have such some of the best uh, animation Disney ever did. So I fell in love with Winnie the Pooh and these characters. And me and my co-director, I was really lucky. I was directing Winnie the Pooh Springtime with Rue with my best friend, Elliot, at the time. And we went to the old featurettes and looked at them. As a matter of fact, at Disney, you have a a building called the Archives, where when you're an animation employee, you can call up certain scenes from any Disney animated film, and they will bring you, like, three days later, you have to wear white gloves, you have to go into this air-pressure room. This is true. They bring you into a room, and they'll show you whatever you wanted to see, whatever you asked for from the library, from the catalog. And you can look at the original animated drawings or background painters from any Disney movie. How amazing is that? So first we go in there and we're looking at Glenn Keane drawings we asked for of, uh, of the beast transforming into the prince, which is some of the most incredible drawings. I get goosebumps just now thinking about it, of what those drawings look like. We held those drawings. We flipped those drawings. Um, Aladdin. Uh, some of my favorite scenes in Aladdin when he sees Jasmine and, and just incredible, anything you wanted to see. But of course we asked them if we could see the Winnie the Pooh drawings from the sixties from those featurettes. And we looked at the background paintings from there and they were all painted with watercolor, this beautiful style, but we were painting everything digitally. So we needed to figure out a way to create that, 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 that look digitally, but that looked hand done. And I can tell you when you looked at the original paintings, the colors, they were much more vivid, you know, they were much different and it definitely aided us as we started creating this film with our artists and our art director to give that style. And Winnie the Pooh characters and the story of those characters, what makes them so amazing and unique is when A.A. A. Milne wrote Winnie the Pooh, uh, he's the one that wrote it and it, it was written in, in England. Originally, he gave his son a toy bear. And his son named him Pooh. This is a true story. And he gave his son uh, a a tiger. And his son, he was watching one day, was looking through the window and starting to play. A.A. Milne was looking through the doorway, watching his son play with these toys. And A.A. Milne watched his son come up with the characterizations of these characters. And when you watch Winnie the Pooh, there's such a unique character. You know, Winnie the Pooh, he's just very simple-minded. I think I'll have a smackerel of honey, right? And Tigger just has that exuberance of, <laughs> right? And Eeyore with, you know, thanks for noticing. Nervous. Oh, did a deer, right? And Rabbit, all fastidious and bossy. No, 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 Pooh, do it like this. Get out of my garden, right? They all have these unique personalities, 
But what's so magical about these characters, and this is what A.A. Milne realized, is that all of these personalities is something that every kid feels at some point in the day, in the week in their life. Every kid sometimes doubts themselves like Eeyore or is scared like Piglet or excited like Tigger or just wants a smackerel of honey like Pooh. Right. And, and so the dynamic of these characters together is what creates the magic. There's not one main character. It's an ensemble. And that's something that Elliot and I tried to put into film and, and respect to those characters and figuring out what those characters would work as an ensemble. And it was such a privilege to work on that movie, especially being, uh, you know, I was a young father at the time and uh, creating that stuff, not just for my kids, but for kids out there that I knew would really love those characters. And believe me, I loved it. I like that. <laughs> you know what, you guys, you guys being voiceover guys will appreciate the, the voice actor for Winnie the Pooh is also the oh, same voice really? actor for Tigger. Uh, and he is Jim, Jim Cummings, oh. right? Right. It's so good. You guys know your stuff. I'm impressed. Oh, we we love Mr. Jim Cummings. Like, right. And, hey, yeah. And he is everything you think and more. He does so many. He also does Pete uh, from Mickey Mouse. Mm -hmm. You know, he, Minnie, that guy. He's amazing. Uh, he did. Uh, he worked on Lion King. I mean, he did hundreds of things. By the way, I, I also interviewed him in my podcast. Mm -hmm. So the listeners go check out the episode with Jim Cummings. I'll tell you one quick story that you guys will appreciate. Um, one day we brought him in, and actually, originally when we brought before we brought him in, you know, I remember thinking, you know, I was going to work with Sterling Holloway, but he's dead. You know, Sterling Holloway did the original voice of Winnie the Pooh, mm -hmm. and he also did Ka in the Jungle Book and lots mm -hmm. of other characters. And Paul Winchell, who did the original Tigger, like these are the voices that I loved from the original feature. But uh, when Jim Cummings came in, we found that he had a warmth in his portrayal of Pooh. And the way that he did Pooh and the way he did Tigger, we ended up loving even more. So Jim really hit it out of the park. But one day we had this script page and it says in the script, it says in the script, Tigger gasps. And all we wanted was Tigger to go, <gasps> But Jim takes the script and he goes, Diff! <laughs> he says the word Diff! <laughs> so we all crack up laughing and we left it in the movie. Wow! <laughs> yeah. He was just so always creative. And by the way, by the way, that's a great story to remind ourselves. Uh, there's these two words that I use as a tool for every aspect of life, and that is exceed expectations. Mm -hmm. give people more than what they're asking for, right? He, he didn't just give us what we, we expected to hear <gasps> and we got gift, right? We got creativity. Mm -hmm. We got character. We got a gag. We got so much more. What if Jim Cummings was that actor that was like, well, let me make sure I give them exactly what they want. Of course he wants to give us as the directors what we want, but he also wants to exceed expectations. That goes for everything in life. Exactly. What if my wife says to me, honey, can you go to the supermarket and pick up this food I need? And I walk in the house and I give her the food she needs. But what if I also stopped off at the dry cleaners? Boom. Picked up the dry cleaning. If I walk up and go, oh, honey, here's the fresh basil you want and picked up your dress. Exceed expectations. Boom. Grow as a husband. Always exceed expectations. That way we grow. <laughs> exactly exactly i mean it's like you, you you give your best and always try to give it a little bit more when i'm directing uh voice actors also it's like i always tell them it's like the script is is not a bible 
It's like, I want your personality. It's like, you, if, if you're playing this character, you are that character. So if this character is, is like ambitious, I want you as an ambitious person to show through that performance. So show me how you be ambitious and, and play around with it. Make it your Beautiful. own. Make it yourself. So Because you never know what they can come up with. And sometimes, right. you know, creativity and great ideas comes from the weirdest places and, you know, the unexpected, you know, type of people. And, and yeah. And it's just it's just beautiful when you allow people to 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 you know add to the recipe, not just yeah, you know, trying to do everything. So true. And uh, there's a story told of George Lucas. He was being interviewed, and it, one of his first movies was American Graffiti. And then Star Wars comes out, becomes well Star Wars and the biggest movie of all time at the time, and BF before Frozen. <laughs> and uh, and George Lucas was asked in an interview, and he was a young filmmaker. He's like, what made Star Wars so great. What was the, what was the secret to that? He said, "You know what? American graffiti, every frame of American graffiti is exactly what I envisioned, what I had my team create and what I wanted." He said there was a point in Star Wars that it, it got so big that I had to allow other people to put their ideas into the project. That's what made it so great. He was forced into that because it got so big. And he said, that's what made the rest of the projects I've ever worked on great is because I know that I empower people around me to do great things. George Lucas doesn't create great sound, but he did create Lucas, uh, what's it called? T you know, Skywalker Ranch. It surrounded himself with all the most talented people. You have to allow in leadership people around you to put themselves into their work. And it's great, Amar, that you as a director allow those voiceover artists to do that. It's a wonderful quality. And in order to do that, your ego has to be down, right? You got to put your ego oh, yeah. away. Because yeah. you, you can learn from everybody. Everybody's like, no matter young, I mean, my kids, they're teenagers and I learn from them all the time. So you can't right. go in with a fixed mindset in anything you do. You have to have a growth mindset because education is going to slap you in the face from, you know, Places you never expected. Well, your kids must. I hope they know their dad has the coolest job in the world, right? Well, I mean, when when they were growing up and they they've seen me create the first puppet and then you know go to Sesame and stuff, it's like so cool. <laughs> I, well, it, it, they ground me. Let's put it that way. It's like, Dad, you're you're not that hot. Um, <laughs> I, I love dad jokes, so I embarrass them all the time. But we have Amar, fun. I think you and I are very similar, man. I think you and I are very similar. It's That's like great. I tell them, I tell them, embarrassing your kids is a sport. It's like it's 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 like a <laughs> right. I say, skill. I, I say, if you haven't embarrassed your kids once a week, you're not doing a good job as a dad. Oh know? yes, oh yes, <laughs> right, true. That's awesome, man. That's I mean, awesome. And um, just I mean, going back, it's just like this saying came up to my mind when you were talking about rejection and stuff. Is like. Rejection it does not mean you're not good enough. Uh, rejection means you're not ready. You just need to be ready. You know, it's it's, right. it's like it's and it's so true with a lot of stuff. And and this is one of the reasons I think we Abdullah and I also um, went into this type of field because growing up we see a lot of these cartoons, we see a lot of cartoon characters and stuff, but we rarely saw people like us. We rarely heard people like us. And you see things like Aladdin or um, other other any any type of film, whether it's live action or animation. And whenever they depict, you know, Arabs, it's always a little bit off. 
Sometimes mm-hmm. it's way off, but it's mm-hmm. always a little bit off and it, it gets mixed with, you know, Persian and Indian and, and all of these different ethnicities. And, um, and it's like, we, we can't really be allowed to complain about something if we're not trying to be part of the solution. It's like, Beautiful. if there's, if there's an issue with something that I don't like, I'm going to do something about it. And then I can discuss it with people, then I can complain and then not really complain, but it's like, add to it, you know, speak up, um, try to be the change that you want to see in the world. Yeah, and, be part and, of the solution. Uh-huh, exactly. And, and this awesome. is one of the well, reasons there, why I want to and, and, and there was a change in Aladdin, right? On, on one of the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. There was a group. Uh, yes. That, yes, that was offended and then there was a change made. Yeah, but yes. we're also talking about the essence of the characters themselves, like the dress of Jasmine. Like, uh, it's it's correct, but it's for Billy dancers. It's not for princesses. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's it's those those simple things that it looks pretty, it looks pretty, but that's not how it is. You know, right? right. Repre- it's the right way to represent it, and I think they kind of fixed it within the live action. They yeah. they kind of fixed her dress to look Good. more princessy. Right. Uh, but still, those simple um, attention de- to details, speaking of atten- attention to details, I-, I still think Aladdin could have been worked on. Like the backgrounds are perfect, spotless, but the characters themselves need right. a lot of work. Uh, I hope in Aladdin too they fix it. <laughs> I hope they do that. Also, a, a lot of it. the dancing is like, it's, it's like more Indian dancing, not Arabic dancing. And the music and the stuff. And, you know, it's it's even even when you see like in a lot of these live action movies when they depict like Saudis and the way they dress, there's a very specific way they dress and they put the headgear and stuff where if it's a little bit off, you yeah. know it's somebody who's not Saudi or who, who, right. who doesn't wear it the same way. And it's like wearing a cowboy hat backwards. You know, it's 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 just that small little detail that you know it it it's it's not there. Or if you yeah. if you if you bring somebody who's supposed to be some, from Texas, but he has an an accent from you know Alabama or right. something, right. you know it's like it, no, you know that doesn't mix. But for us in the Arab world, nobody knows the difference, so might as well. But now that everything is more international. Then you know, so we're doing our part to be in the in the industry to learn from the industry and to get opportunities to get to work, hopefully to get to work on international you know projects to you know show the world like well guys we have we have stories we have a lot of stories other than you know one thousand and one nights and uh and and you know and Aladdin and Sinbad and you no know, no we have we have a lot of culture and we have a lot of, and which is amazing that today we can see that in Hollywood movies. But it's not Hollywood's job to represent us. We need to represent ourselves. We need to be there with them. And today we have a lot of people who work in animation who are Arab um, in, in Hollywood and, and, and voice actors and directors and, and story writers. And, and it, it's amazing. It's amazing to see. And it's amazing to see that also in Disney cartoons today and, and, and other cartoons when you look at just recently, like Vivo talking about, um, you know, Cuba, um, and the last one we saw, Encanto, amazing. By the way, and Andy, my friend from college, was the art director on Vivo, just so you know. Vivo Ooh. is one of, it's like the top movie in like in 2021 for me was. I mean, it was it was just, I did not expect it to be that good. 
the music, the animations, like whenever they sing, they go into this amazing world, which brings us to another thing. It's like, we've noticed um, watching movies, it's like Pixar and Disney are like striving to get more realistic. Mm. But then you look at other companies like Sony and 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 uh, that are looking at the art thing you know the art side of it it's like every movie is like if you look at the spider-verse you look at mm. you know um vivo each one is like they're they're going more artistic than than realism and like mitchell's does, versus the machines mitchell's versus the machine i mean right. it's does every studio have their like their own thing that they're trying to do yeah great question um i can tell you you know when i was um when I started out at Disney, Disney made a certain kind of movie, right? And when DreamWorks was built, DreamWorks didn't know what a DreamWorks movie was going to be. You know, Pixar was just or using the computer. That's it. That was the big deal. They're using the computer. I remember, by the way, I was working on Mulan and we had a screening of Toy Story. It, the movie wasn't done yet. John Lasseter came to the studio and we were the animators at Disney at the time. A little arrogant. We're like, come on, we're Disney. We just made The Lion King. We're making huge movies, right? And we go into this screening and we're watching a computer animated movie with no characters singing. That was a very big deal at the time. No characters singing, not breaking out in a song. <laughs> you know, I want to be where the people are. I want, right? There, no singing. It was just music in the background. And I can tell you, watching Toy Story that day, with that cynical group of animators in that screening room, when that green soldier gets stepped on by mom, if you remember the scene, when they go down in the beginning to go see what the new toy is, and mom opens the door and steps on the soldier, and all the soldiers have to freeze, right? Right, Because she comes out, they freeze in their pose. The soldier gets stepped on, then mom walks away, and then the soldier comes back uh, to life, and the soldier's like, injured. Proceed without me. <laughs> go on without me me like he was just damaged in a battle we burst into tears laughing and that was one of those moments where i knew the entire animation world was going to be different from that moment because there was a new tone a new sensibility it was breaking through because at that point remember there was a formula alan menken broadway sound little mermaid beauty and the beast of land by the way go check out my episode in my podcast on alan menken hear the stories of how he created the music to those movies it's incredible um but that was a certain kind of movie that was made uh and then and pocahontas hunchback these were big broadway style music no one thought of changing anything until john lasseter and toy story said we're going to make a different kind of story not just we're going to do it with computers but we're going to tell a different kind of story the next time by the way that I saw the biggest change in animation was just a couple years later. DreamWorks comes out with their first movie, Prince of Egypt, which was beautiful, but it really did feel like a Disney movie. People didn't know the difference between that movie and Disney. By the way, Jeffrey Katzenberg at DreamWorks with Spielberg was hiring people from the Disney studios at the time, bringing people right out of Disney to do what they did at Disney at DreamWorks. And it was an incredible time to be there. But they didn't know what their movie was. They didn't know what their tone was with their style until their next movie, which became one of the biggest animated movies of all time, Shrek. Mm -hmm. And what Shrek did was Shrek had a different tone, a different sensibility. It had humor that you would never have seen in a Disney movie because what DreamWorks realized was 
Disney as a brand is a blessing and a curse. A blessing because you have this history where families trust the movies, but it's also a curse because it creates parameters. You can't do certain kind of humor. You can't do irreverent humor, contemporary references, things like that. And DreamWorks was like, you know what? We're going to do that. We're going to do what Disney can't do. And then Pixar came up with what they were going to do that no one else was doing. The, the next movie that changed everything in animation after that for me was when I saw The Incredibles. That was it. Because mm-hmm. you saw Brad Bird make a movie that you didn't even know was possible in animation. It had a live action sensibility. It was a different kind of story. The sequences were so different than anything that Pixar was doing before then and that Disney was doing. And I, I always love that as an artist. When somebody can come along and say, this is what we've done. Let's stand on the shoulders of what we've done, but let's try to take the risk and do something new. And today, you know, going back to your question, Amar, there's so much animation out there. There's more content than has ever been created. And what I have personally found now is that Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Sony, they're not really looking at an overall umbrella of what separates us from everybody else. I've found now that they're looking for more driven stories. They're not looking to filmmakers and saying, well, here's what we're hoping you will make for us. Mm. They're coming to filmmakers and saying, what story do you want to tell? Like you were saying before, Amar, culturally, being authentic. You know, those uh, mistakes in Aladdin uh, portraying the culture. I can tell you working at DreamWorks as a supervising producer, I work on a show, Madagascar, A Little Wild. It's on Hulu. It's on Peacock. And the painstaking process that we go through culturally to make sure we are authentic. We did an episode that took place in Chinatown. We have uh, an episode uh, of so many different cultures. We have a team uh, in Hollywood has this now. There's a team that culturally will make sure all diversity is represented and represented authentically. And you know, you, you you can't imagine the changes that are going on there now to make sure that things are authentically being represented mm-hmm. and it's wonderful. And I feel that looking at the future where animation's going, more and more now, we are hungry for new stories. We want to hear those Saudi stories those stories from all cultures around the world. And you'll mm-hmm. see that from the, the from Disney now. You're not, you're not going to just get, you know, a white uh, princess like we've had for all the... We're not going to get another Cinderella, another Aurora, another, right? We, we, they want to see... And I, I don't work for Disney now, so I can't speak for them. But the way it's looking is that those stories, there's such a hunger for those stories. And anybody listening right now, listen really, really carefully. For whatever reason, you're listening to this podcast now and listen to how Amar spoke beautifully before passionately about how people have to put themselves out there and tell their stories. If you're listening right now and there's a story that's appealed to you or a story that you have in your head, don't look at it as, hey, that'd be fun to make. Look at it as a responsibility. Mm -hmm. Look at it as an obligation to tell that story, to bring that culture, that new viewpoint to the world. Because the impact it can have, it's immeasurable. Mm -hmm. And it takes time. It takes time to get there. I have like a story for a film that I've been working on. Abdullah knows this. It's like for five, six years. 
trying to get it made. We're not there yet. We're not ready yet. We're trying to get to the right people. Another story that it's been, I wrote two, two years ago is like a treatment. And now I'm getting to talk to a studio. Now I'm talking to Netflix, talking to different people. It's like, hey, I have the story. So can, can we make it and whatnot? But, you know, every time it's like you're not disappointed that the story hasn't been picked up. But it's like every moment I have is like, you know what? I can make this better. You know what? I can make it, you know, you know, um, fix it a little bit to make it more rounded, to make it more inclusive, to make it more, you know, astounding. So it's like the more time you have, it's it's because you're not ready. It's like, you know, it, it's going to get, an, a, 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 you know, at, at some point, somebody's going to make it. I know it. You know, somebody's yeah. going to help me to do that yeah. story, but you just can't you know, give up on your dream. And it's got to be the right time. Like and it's got to be the right time. It's got to be the right time you know, for the right um, people. You know, there's, uh, I, I, I grew up in New York and when I got out to Orlando, I went on my first trip to Miami and I fell in love with South Beach culture, food, music, color, the architecture, I fell in love with it. And years ago, about eight years ago now, I teamed up with Desmond Child. He's one of the biggest songwriters in the world. He wrote Living La Vida Loca, Ricky Martin. Mm-hmm. He wrote Bon Jovi, uh, Living on a Prayer. He wrote Aerosmith. Dude looked like a lady. I mean, he wrote for everybody. And I, I know I keep putting these shameless plugs in, but go check out the episode <laughs> on my podcast with him and listen to his story of how he was poor growing up in the streets of Miami and just really wanted to become wealthy to take care of his mother and have a better life. It's an incredible story, Desmond Child. But when I met him, and he's from Cuba, and he grew up in Miami. I fell in love with that culture, and we wrote an animated musical together called Bongo that takes place in South Beach about a character that comes from a Cuba-like uh, island, uh, a flamingo, actually, who makes it as a singer in Miami. And we spent two years writing this. We put so much money into artwork, you name it. And we had set it up at DreamWorks. We sold it to DreamWorks. We developed it at DreamWorks. And uh, eventually, after a year, they ended up passing. The woman who was at DreamWorks at the time left. She went to Sony. And they have the movie Vivo. Now, I'm not saying that (laughs) they took the idea. (laughs) I'm also not saying that they didn't take the idea. Uh, There was definitely an influence from our project in Vivo. And it was the same um, person who represented them. But put that aside, I bring it up not to point a finger to them and say they owe me millions of dollars, which if you're listening, Vivo, you do. Um, (laughs) But what I am telling you is, um, you, you know, Desmond and I often say, like, that flamingo will sing someday. Okay. Yeah. We had that day when I called my wife and I was almost in tears, honey, I sold the movie to DreamWorks. It was incredible. My dreams are going to come true. This dreamer story, everything that I put my passion, my heart in my own life, I put into writing the story with Desmond and the music is amazing. By the way, there's a song at the end of the Desmond child episode. You can hear, we, uh, we, we let you guys hear the entire song. One of the first songs that we wrote for the movie called a dreamer in a dream. Incredible. But you know, you can't, you can't not give up on, you can't give up on your ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, the stars have to be in line. It has to be the right timing. And my kids even know, we say this all the time. If daddy doesn't make bongo, then my kids will make bongo one day or my great grandkids. Someday the animation world will be in line and this story will be told. Yep. But I will tell you this, whether I make the film or not, even getting rejected through the process of DreamWorks in making the film, I grew as an artist. I grew as a human being. Mm-hmm. 
you know, success isn't defined by what we accomplish. Like I was saying earlier, it's who we become along the way. I grew in so many ways just going through the process of creating this film. And so that's already a success. You know, the fact that I was passionate about writing it and putting myself out there and becoming vulnerable and, and boy, talk about research, all my trips to Miami, all that incredible research that I did. And, and that made me even love the culture more. That was a plus. That was a pleasure. So I urge everybody, find those stories that you love, that you're passionate about, because the world needs to hear them from you. The world does not need another Steven Spielberg. The world does not need another Brad Bird or Glenn Keane. It needs you, whoever you are listening, to tell your story. Yep. And Woo-hoo. it's it's been over an hour. We don't want to take more, much more of your time, but I'll, although we were just, we can go for hours more if you guys have the time. This is just amazing. Sorry that I'm not speaking a lot, by the way. I'm just enjoying this conversation, like between you two. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just taking everything in. I'm like, whoa. This is, this is the wisdom you get after 40. That's right. Amar. <laughs> Amar. You know what? There is a, there is a, a, an idea that at 40 is when you get wisdom. Yeah. I've, that's, there's an ancient, uh, I think it's a proverb or something that says that at 40 is when it starts to click in. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not 40 yet. I'm still 29. Yeah, I'm 40. So I said, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm 42. <laughs> All right. Listen to Amar, so. <laughs> so, I mean, Saul, it's been a pleasure. We didn't even scratch the surface of like, the topics that we want to talk to with you uh, about, but um, hopefully this is not the last time we sit together and talk. Can I share one final story sure. with you guys? Go ahead. You know, I, me- I mentioned Glenn Keane before. You know who that is, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. See, because <laughs> I saw you reacted when I said his name, and I think it's important that I tell you one quick uh, story about Glenn Keane. Uh, true story. I think that's, and that's the point that I really want to end with uh, and share with your listeners. So those of you that don't know, Glenn Keane is, in some would say, the most talented Disney animator that ever lived. I mean, you have the nine old men that made the old Disney movie. But Glenn Keane really is responsible for Ariel, The Little Mermaid, The Beast, Aladdin, Tarzan. And if you go to YouTube and look up Glenn Keane animation and see what his drawings look like moving, it's incredible. He really is the Michael Jordan, if you will, of animation. And when I was in college, I remember finding out that Glenn Keane used a certain pencil. There was a certain pencil that he used to draw with. And I thought if I then I could draw like Glenn Keane. So I find out the name of the company that makes the pencil. By the way, this is before the internet, right? Today, you want to find out this stuff, you go to the internet. This is before the internet. It was hard to find out. And I call up the company and I say, hey, I'd like to buy this pencil, the Tomboy 50, whatever it was called. And they go, oh, you know what? We, we, we don't have any more. I'm like, why? They're like, well, we sold them out. Like, when are you getting more? Like, no, no, we're never getting more. We're not making them anymore. They're stopped production. And we just sold our last 12 cases to one guy. I go, his name isn't Glenn Keene, is it? They go, how'd you know? <laughs> It's a true story. <laughs> so I couldn't get the Glenn Keene pencil. Years later, I'm working on Pocahontas, the character designed by Glenn Keene. And I go into his office and he sits down day one, teaching me how to draw Pocahontas. This is a crazy story. And first thing he does is he draws the Little Mermaid's face. He's drawing Ariel, the other character he designed, right? Mentioned Disney, Ariel, Glenn Keane. He's designed Ariel. He's drawing Ariel. Then he takes a piece of paper, puts it over Ariel's face, and starts drawing Pocahontas, showing me that her face has more angular design. He's teaching me. And as he's teaching me, 
I don't hear a word he's saying because I'm staring at <laughs> the pencil. So right. And he can, and he can tell I'm enamored by this pencil. And I'm looking at the pencil and it has bite marks in it. It's half used. And he says, what? I'm like, that's the pencil. Can I hold it? He's like, here. He hands it to me. I'm holding it. And to me, it's like Michelangelo's paintbrush. This is amazing. And he looks to me and he says, Saul, it's not the pencil that makes the animator. He says to me, when I started at Disney, Saul, the nine old men taught me one idea that I wrote down on my desk, two words. That's what makes the animator. And he pointed to his desk and there were two words written on a piece of paper. Be sincere. Be sincere. He says, you know what makes the animator? If you don't feel it, your audience won't feel it. Put yourself into everything you do. Sincerity goes a long way in all aspects of life. When you watch The Little Mermaid and Ariel sings, what's the fire and why does it? What's the word? Burn. Look at the pose that Glenn Keane drew. She's not just saying the word burn, looking to the camera. She closes her eyes, puts her hands across her chest, arches her back as if her whole soul is craving to understand why a fire burns. You think she's so interested in science? No. She wants to understand the world. She wants to understand her place in the world. That's what comes through when you watch The Little Mermaid, when you watch Glenn Keane's animation. It's sincerity. So all of you listening, as we end this episode, I wish to each one of you and to myself that we continue to put our heart, our passion, our sincerity into all aspects of everything that we do. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure meeting you guys. And I urge you guys someday when you get to LA, look me up. I'm going to give you a tour of whatever studio I'm at. We're going to go out for a coffee, and I want a hug from both of you guys. Okay? You got it. It's been such a pleasure. Such a pleasure meeting you both. Thanks for all the impact you're making with your podcast, and I can and I wish you guys continued success as you change the world and bring Amor, your I, bring I your animation we magic. Going next summer. Oh, yes. Amor, I think we're, we know where we're going next yeah, summer. Yeah, summer, summer, okay. we're going to LA, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but um it's like well again thank you i mean words cannot express how thankful we are for you giving us the time salt so, um where can people find you if you want to plug in like your show your social media handles anything yeah yeah you can check out my website it has uh my podcast there uh my website is saul blinkoff b is in boy l-i-n-k-o-f-f.com you can check me out on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you listen to podcasts the podcast is life of awesome please check out the episodes start right at episode one we just finished our first season had some incredible guests. We had uh, Jody Benson, the singing voice of The Little Mermaid. We had George Foreman, the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. What an most incredible story he shared. Actually, I just did an episode where uh, ending the new year, I did the best of this last year. So you can go check that out. And check me out on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram, I, I put a lot of work into it, sharing quotes and videos. So uh, check me out there, Life of Awesome. Uh, Saul.blinkoff on Instagram. And uh, yeah, it's really been a pleasure, guys. Uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you so we're much. Definitely, we're definitely going to share all the links in the show notes for everyone uh, listening. And we're also going to share uh, the uh, account for Mr. Saul Blinkoff on our social media accounts. So you're going to find it there. Yes. Awesome. 
I just want to say that I am really, 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 really pleasured to be speaking to you, Mr. Sol. I know, I know, like you're like, no, don't, but please just take it. I, I was born in 94, so, 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 so just take it. Uh, I'm really happy and, and honored to be speaking to you. And I just want to say thank you so much for making the art that you've been making all these years. And I can't wait to see what you have more to show us and to share with us um, in the art industry or the animation industry. Thank you, Abdullah. You guys can find us in Instagram and Twitter at K-R-T-O-N-K-R-T-1-O-N. Or you can email us at cartoncarton at gmail.com. Like always, never apologize for proficiency just because others are mediocre. Never be ashamed of uniqueness just because others are ordinary. And never hold back creativity just because others are conservative. Be proud of who you are and strive to be the best version of you. Be a Carton and be proud. And always remember that here in Carton Carton, we always, 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 always love you! <laughs> awesome.